Yes, we worked under extreme pressure in the middle of a crisis, quite honestly, but people found bright spots during that time, right? We saw a ton of benefits from working more flexibly, things like better productivity, better work-life balance. Um, We saw that there's just generally higher scores when people are given flexibility. And what that really comes down to is when people are trusted to get the work done, they in general have, have felt better about work overall. That's Helen Cup. She's one of the co-founders of Future Forum and a co-author on the book, How the Future Works, leading flexible teams to do the best work of their lives. What Helen's describing is what we all went through with COVID. Employees found themselves disconnected from the office under all new sorts of stresses and strains, and yet still responsible for delivering incredible results in an economy that was really uncertain. And yet, we figured it out. Not only did we figure it out, we did better in some cases than most people even thought we could. And so the good examples of what I'm seeing leaders do is lean into that, lean into the uncertainty and say, we've been doing a version of this type of flexible working. How can we continue to iterate? How can we continue to experiment? and listen to our employees, trust them, and build a different way of working that works better for everyone as we go forward post-pandemic 2023, whatever version of that future looks like for, for you as a business owner. Hi, I'm Joel Miller, Chief Product Officer here at Full Focus. And today we're talking about how to enhance employee experience and performance. First, we're going to have a conversation with our founder, Michael Hyatt, and our CEO, Megan Hyatt Miller, to discuss six ways that you can empower your employees. And then we're going to shift to a conversation with Helen Cup to talk about how employers can create more flexible work environments to keep employee engagement high and get great results in the process. All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now? No, I have no idea. <laughs> well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. It's, yes! We can act, okay, like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over. Jingle bells, jingle. Yes. Uh, it's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, And we have better. some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got uh, some awesome deals. So we've got 10% off site-wide. Um, we've got where you can get a free um, Your Best Year Ever vinyl sticker pack for any new planner subscri- subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug. Wow, you already put them on yeah. your Stanley mug? And if are you got them, them if you got them on Black Friday, these are different. These are these are going to be new for the new year. Uh, but they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner, you can put them on your computer, wherever you want them. 
but they're great. Good. They're great stickers. We're also doing 25% off courses. Let's go. So specifically, we've been talking a lot about our goal setting course. Um, and this is going to be $75 off and you get a free ticket to your best year ever live with your purchase. So you definitely don't, it's huge. like a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. So you don't want to miss out on that. And your favorite thing, which is our certification program we're doing $800 off of it. And this is a fantastic time of year to get in. Um, we are actually going to be doing a beta group for our new digital planner. Yes. It's going to be fantastic. Crazy exciting. So anyways, go to fullfocusstore.com now shop our holiday sale. Make sure to use the code holiday 10 to get all these deals and more. Quiet quitting became part of the business lexicon in 2022. According to Gallup, about 50% of the U.S. workforce would qualify for the term. But what's interesting is this is a longer term problem than 2022 or even the pandemic. Whether we're thinking about quiet quitting or employee engagement or the Great Resignation, we might be missing an overall trend. The share of employees voluntarily leaving their jobs has actually been going up pretty steadily since 2009. In fact, in 2020, people stayed in the workforce more than they had since 2017. The apparent jump in 2021 was really just the trend resuming its prior path. And that means that there's really an ongoing problem here that we need to get our heads around. There could be a lot of systemic issues in play that honestly are beyond the scope of this conversation. However, there are some things that are directly under the control of business owners, and that includes how they empower their teams and what they do in order to structure their work. Let's jump into our conversation with Michael and Megan now. So our clients ask us all the time, how do we keep our teams engaged? How do we get the most out of our people? How do we make sure that they're really doing the work and doing it with everything they've got. So we want to talk about six ways to empower your employees to win. Now, Megan, I want to ask you a question. At Full Focus, do we have this problem? Mostly no, we don't. There have been times where I think we have done better or worse on engagement. It's always something we're focused on, and yet... I mean, this is next level skills in terms of leading a business. You know, it's one thing to have a product you're excited about. It's another thing to be able to build a team to help you execute and get that out. It's another thing entirely to be able to build a high performance team, which necessitates a high level of engagement. And I think that's something you're always working on. And I think probably for most business owners, after the stress of 2020 and even part of 2021, I mean, it's no wonder really that this happened because I think there's sort of a collective burnout that people experienced emotionally, physically, you know, just through COVID and, and so forth that didn't necessarily have to do with work completely, but certainly showed up at work. And so I think we we definitely had some of that as well. And I think um, the the strategies, the ways that we're going to talk about today are things that we have successfully used over the years to continuously improve our engagement and and maintain a high level of engagement regardless. But it's something we're always working to get better at. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we won the Inc. magazine, Best Places to Work, wasn't our employee engagement like 97% they measured that? 
Yeah, I want to say it was 94%, but you might be right. We've, we've won two years in a row. We haven't gotten the results yet for 2022. But yeah, I mean, we have a, a way above average level of engagement. I want to say something like 70% is maybe normal or even pretty acceptable. Not to us. You know, we, we're trying to do something pretty extraordinary in this department. And, you know, this reminds me of something that you often say to our clients is that, you know, your dream, if it's big enough, is going to require a team. And so I think, you know, for you listening out there, if you have a big vision, you you don't just need a team, you need a highly engaged team. So I think that's why this is relevant. If you really are serious about accomplishing your vision, you've got to have a team that's engaged. In case you're wondering what engagement means, when we think of engagement, we think of people on task, bringing their full self to that task. So that's different than, you know, kind of scrolling through Facebook as you're on a Zoom call or writing an email while you're on a Zoom call, but you're, you're basically disengaged from the task at hand. So we do the best work when we're fully engaged, when we're totally focused, when we're concentrated on what it is that we have to do, because then we can be creative and productive and all the rest. Okay. You know what I would add to that real quick? I, and I think this is kind of like a squishy thing, but I think it's important. I would say it that you're bringing your heart to work. Okay. You know, you're Fair not enough. just bringing like your skills to work. You're you're bringing a level of passion and wholeheartedness that I think is um, easy to underestimate in a professional context. That's actually what I was trying to say, but you said it a thousand percent better. <laughs> Typical. Okay, you ready to get started? Yeah. Six ways to empower your employees to win. And I want to suggest that the first and maybe the most important way to do this is to make work meaningful. In other words, your organization has to be purpose-driven. This is why it's worth the effort to come up with a mission statement, to identify your core values, and to come up with what we call a vision script, but a a statement, basically a, a narrative about what it is that you want to see at some future date. Because this is what basically infuses purpose into your organization. And I think if there's one thing that we know about today's workers is that uh, just showing up for a paycheck, not enough. There's got to be purpose. It's got to give meaning to their lives. And that's why we encourage business owners in particular to take the time, and I know it's hard work, And it's not real active work. It's not like responding to fires and doing all the thousand and one things you have to do to run a business. But this is more reflective, more deliberative, more thoughtful, but it's so foundational. This lays the ideological foundation for your business and the reason that exists. And I think, honestly, does more to create employee engagement than anything else we're going to share. You know, I... Totally agree with this. And I was actually this morning, I was coaching um, a CEO client of mine, and we were talking about just how critically important it is to always be linking the day to day work of your team back to the larger why, you know, because let's face it, I mean, whether you're the business owner, or you're an intern in the company, you know, wherever, however, you know, you kind of fall in that hierarchy, Sometimes we get lost in the day-to-day and we don't really know. I mean, 
you know, maybe we have this mission statement, maybe we have this vision, but how does the work I'm doing today, how does the reconciliation of last month's financials or the scheduling of this appointment or um, the setting up of, of the office or, you know, doing this presentation, how do those things make our mission happen? And what does it matter if the mission is accomplished? And it's really the job of the CEO of the business owner to constantly be connecting those dots so people find meaning in their work. And I think people get discouraged when, one, they don't see those connections and they also don't feel uh, like their work is important or recognized. And so I think that's the other thing about being a CEO or a business owner is that you have the power to recognize people's work and build a culture of recognition, um, which really contributes to that sense of meaning. Yeah. And I think it's easy for business owners because they're kind of steeped in this, or maybe they created it, or maybe it's just top of mind to not feel like they've got to communicate it repeatedly to their teams. And I just had this question on a coaching call this morning where one of our clients said to me, they said, you know, I am so tired of talking about this. I'm just kind of burned out. And I told him the whole story that I always tell about my executive coach saying to me in the middle of the recession that when you're tired of talking about it, you're about half done. And I said to her, I said, you know, before you stand up in front of your employees, and she had about 55 employees, I said, before you stand up in front of your employees, you've got to ask why that stuff matters. You know, you've got to be connected to the why first. Everything uh, rises or falls on your leadership. And then I said, you've got to be excited. And as it turns out, excitement is contagious, but so is boredom. You know, so is negativity. And so whatever you've got, your team is going to catch. So if you're excited about this, and you just keep repeating it. I mean, there are new people coming in and out of your company all the time. People forget. And to quote Andy Stanley, vision leaks. And so if we're not the people that are giving voice to the vision, giving voice to the mission statement, the core values, for all intents and purposes, they don't exist. Okay, well, that leads us to way number two, which is to clarify your expectations. When you clarify your expectations, you're really empowering your employees to win and you're driving engagement. And, you know, here's what I see all the time that our clients struggle with, particularly when they're new to our coaching program um, or, you know, when I'm coaching myself, is that we kind of want people to read our minds. You know, we, we really sort of feel like if we get the right people that just sort of know what to do. And that's kind of like playing a football game without a playbook and without a scoreboard. And everybody plays better. And especially when you're talking about not just one person, but a group of people playing, you know, toward the same outcome together. Everybody plays better when they know what's expected of them. And when um, that expectation is expressed explicitly and concretely, as opposed to kind of implicitly um, and kind of abstractly, you know. And so, for example, one of the things that we do and that we teach our clients how to do is to use this tool we have called the Vision Caster, where you can really articulate the vision that you have for a project that you're going to go task someone with um, bringing to reality for you. And this is so, so helpful. I was actually just talking to some um, new clients about this this morning, just about, you know, how do you set somebody up to win? You've got to take the time to detail your expectations. It doesn't have to take a long time, but this is a really important discipline um, that you as the business owner are the only person who can do this. You know, if, if you don't clarify your expectations, it's not something you can really delegate. 
delegate. You've got to do it yourself for the people in particular that are reporting directly to you. Um, but this is amazing to see how people engage emotionally, um, mentally, uh, et cetera, when they know exactly what's expected of them and they can measure their success based on those expectations. Yeah, that's so good. And I think the reason this is so important is that nobody can read your mind. And yet as leaders, we often act like people should be able to read our minds. And when they don't, we get frustrated or we get angry. You know, one of the things, uh, Meg, that you and I learned from Dan Sullivan, and this is kind of an abbreviated version, but um, at the beginning of a relationship, when you onboard somebody, why not go ahead and tell them what you like in general and what you don't like? or how to be a hero with you, and what makes you crazy. And so, you know, a couple examples from my list is I hate open loops. So in other words, if I give an assignment, and Jim, in my case, my executive assistant, if he doesn't come back and close the loop, then it it makes me crazy. I don't want to have to ask, where are we at on that project? Mm -hmm. And thankfully, you know, Jim, you and I stood in front of the entire employee workforce Back in 2018, I looked just this morning, and we gave our lists, and they were they happened to be the same, of what makes us crazy, how to be a hero with us, and that was on my list. And Jim really took that to heart, not just then, but even before that. He always closes loops. So what that looks like is that if he's in the middle of a project and he's not making progress, like I've asked him to, to make a phone call on my, my behalf, and they're not getting back to him, he will just give me a status report. Like, look, I've called him three times. I left messages. I still haven't heard back. Well, that just helps me to kind of let that go and go to the next thing instead of to just noodle on it forever. Another thing is I had on the on the positive side is I said, I really like it when you anticipate my needs so that I don't have to ask. Sometimes I don't even know. And so Jim is constantly out in front of me trying to anticipate my needs. What am I going to need for this meeting? What needs to be done before that meeting? What's the preparation for that meeting or that presentation or whatever? And 99 times out of 100 now, because we've been working together for almost eight years, um, he anticipates it. I rarely ask him for something that he doesn't say, oh yeah, it's already taken care of. <laughs> it's all part of clarifying your expectations because the alternative is that that you leave people again trying to guess. And nothing can be more frustrating than trying to guess what your boss really wants. Because most people, healthy people, want to please the people they're working for. I don't care if it's a client or a customer or your boss, but unless you give them some guidance, they just can't do it. Okay, that leads us to way number three. Focus on outcomes, not processes. Now, here's the thing. None of us like being micromanaged. I don't like it. I know, Megan, for a fact, you don't like it. It's oppressive. It communicates distrust. It completely eliminates the opportunity for me to innovate and to be creative. And I just, at that point, I become a robot, you know, so I don't want to be micromanaged. Neither does your team. And nothing will create disengagement like overmanaging people because they're like, well, what's the point? He or she is going to tell me everything I need to do. I don't really need to think about it. Instead, I want to stay focused on the outcomes. And it's a little bit like clarifying the expectations, but I want to be really clear about the outcome I want. And then I want to give the delegate the freedom 
to figure out the strategy or how they're going to accomplish it. Now, if it's something where they need some training or you've been doing it and you want it done roughly like you've been doing it, then great. You know, capture the workflow in some kind of document like Evernote or Notion or Google Docs or something else. Capture the workflow, the step-by-step, then turn it over to that person. Like I, I did this years ago, back before Nick was wonderfully producing our podcast, but I had another podcast producer. And so I decided that I was going to get out of doing my own production. And so I gave it to this producer and I said, look, here's what I've been doing. This is a step-by-step detailed thing. Every single move I use to produce the show and post it. Use this as kind of the foundation, but feel free to discard it, improve upon it, whatever you need to do. And he was an experienced producer, so I didn't really need to give that to him, but I thought it'd be a good reference document. Yeah, I think this is a big deal. Um, It also opens you up to somebody doing it better than you were doing. Very often, things that we're delegating to people are things that really are not the highest and best use of us, but they might be the highest and best use of the person we're delegating to. And that may be where their kind of creative genius comes into play. And if you give them the freedom to be responsible for outcomes, not processes, then you're actually going to get a better outcome because their process is better than yours. So I think that's something to it's easy to discount, but shouldn't be discounted because it's a real opportunity there. Okay, that leads us to way number four, which is to treat them like owners. And, you know, I think our best case scenario uh, as business owners is to have a company full of people who think about the business like we do, that they are responsible for the business, whether it's making investments or delivering the budget or whatever, that they're thinking about it like we would think about it. That's what we want. So I think part of getting to that place is one, uh, holding people accountable for outcomes and not processes like we we're just talking about in in way number three, but also making sure that your incentives align with what you're trying to accomplish. And I think this is a big deal. You know, for example, if you're trying to drive profit, then you don't want to incentivize revenue. You know, you want to make sure that you're incentivizing the thing that you want more of. Um, if you want to incentivize teamwork, Uh, and one collective goal, financially speaking, that you don't want to have individual bonus plans based on individual metrics that are, you know, confusing and difficult to track, um, or whatever. If you want to, if you want to drive those financial metrics, you need a plan that people can understand well in terms of their incentives. It's not so opaque that they never know if the scoreboard says they're winning or losing, you know, that's not going to drive any kind of behavior. And so I think getting these incentives aligned with what you want and, you know, like in our company, what we want and what we advise our clients to do is we want people to win when we win and lose if we lose, you know, that's the appropriate thing you want though. You want people on the same side of the table as you are. Um, And I think that that, that leads to greater alignment in other areas, which ultimately enables us to accomplish our goals through this kind of engagement. You know, another point of this, Megan, is that if you're treating somebody like an owner, you're going to be communicating regularly with them. You're not going to leave them in the dark. You're going to be reporting, for example, like you do with me, because I'm an owner, you're an owner. You report to me once a month, you and Rob, our CFO, of how we did financially the previous month. Why is that important? Because I'm an owner. And I want to know, I don't want to be left in the dark. Mm -hmm. So that kind of information, that kind of communication, you can't overdo it. And it's important if you want people to respond like owners, you got to treat them like owners.
Okay, that brings us to way number five, provide ongoing training. You know, one of my favorite books on this whole topic of motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic is uh, Daniel Pink's book, Drive. And one of the things he says people want is an opportunity to gain mastery. This is highly motivational to people. If they've got a craft, you know, if they're a copywriter or they're a book editor or whatever it is they are inside of your company, financial manager, whatever, they want to grow in their skills and their abilities. And that sense of progress creates a sense of happiness and satisfaction. It also contributes to their own self-esteem. So I think as business owners, we need to invest in the ongoing training. That could take the form of a quarterly training session that you do for all the employees. We've certainly done a lot of that through through the years where we've brought brought in an outside resource and trained the whole team on something. It could also look like um, creating a budget for people so that they can enroll in courses or attend conferences or something else that will enhance their professional skills. And and again, I think this is important to engagement. And I think it, it also communicates that I'm willing to invest in you and creates the reciprocal response of, great, I'm willing to invest and be engaged in the company. That's really good. I wholeheartedly uh, sign on to that, and that's something we prioritize here at Full Focus as well. Okay, that leads us to way number six, which is to give candid feedback. And this is the last way that we're going to discuss today. And this is one that I find within myself and also as I'm talking to our clients and other business owners, this is can this can be a challenging one because most of us at some level are a little bit conflict avoidant. And we think about giving feedback, particularly if it's um, constructive feedback about where somebody needs to improve, we think about that like it's conflict and we don't realize that actually people want that feedback. In some ways, Dad, for the reasons that you just mentioned, people want to get better at their jobs. They want to grow. Uh, that's a basic human need that we have to gain that mastery that you're talking about. And if, if you were, for example, on a, a sports team and you had a coach that never told you how you were doing or never gave you any guidance on how to improve, it would kind of be like, what's the point of the coach? You know, well, you are the coach in your business. And so um, my favorite book on this topic is Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor. I read that years ago, and it continues to be one of my favorite business books and one of my most recommended business books, because she really lays out a strong case for giving feedback that is, on the one hand, kind, but is also candid and in real time. And I think most of us tend to delay feedback way too long. Um, It's too kind to the point that it's actually not kind. You know, as Brene Brown says, clear is kind. It's not clear. It's not candid. And people are left in the dark about their own performance. And, uh, you know, you and I believe strongly that we have an obligation to be good stewards of the people who are entrusted to us, which in our mind means that people come to us one way and hopefully in our stewardship, they actually become even more valuable so that when they go on to whatever the next thing is for them, that they they get to take something with them, you know, that they are better than uh, we found them at the beginning of their relationship with us. And so if we're not providing this kind of feedback, then they don't really have the opportunity to grow like they could. And I think people 
sense that when we're willing to take the risk of providing feedback in an honoring way, but in a clear and direct way, um, that we care about them, you know, that we value them, that we value their growth, that we value the relationship more than our own comfort. And so this is one of those areas that personally, I'm always challenging myself to lean into. And it's, you know, I wish I could say that it's so easy now. And that wouldn't be true. I would say that it's still very challenging for me. I still feel nervous about it when I have to uh, or need to have a, a feedback kind of conversation with someone, which I try to do regularly. But um, I try to remember as one of our um, shared executive coaches in the past, Eileen used to tell us, you know, we are taking a stand for the greatness in the people that we're leading. And we're not going to treat them like they're fragile. We're going to treat them like we see their potential and take a stand for that. And in doing so, we're going to provide the feedback they need to grow. You know, I think it's easy when you talk about giving candid feedback to think of that as only negative feedback. Right. But I would argue that that is way more effective when it's in the context of continuous positive feedback. Yes. In other words, you're being explicit and telling people what you like you catch them doing things right, and you verbalize it. You're not like uh, the proverbial husband who didn't tell his wife that he loved her for like 20 years. Finally, she got the courage and said, "I, you haven't told me you love me since we got married. And he said, that's right. I still love you. And if I ever revoke it, I'll let you know. <laughs> so you can't, you can't be like that. You've got to be explicit and catch people doing things right. And then they can contextualize it. Then they can put the negative feedback in the context of their overall, they're doing a great job yep. and it keeps everybody secure and happy and receptive even to the negative feedback. Another great resource here as you're working on doing what we would really consider coaching in the context of your relationships with your direct reports um, is to help them learn to self-coach and develop your own skills as a coach as well. I mean, I think in some ways this is our most important role as CEOs and business owners is that of a coach. Uh, and we really dig into some great strategies for how to do this effectively in our new book called Mind Your Mindset, where we talk about how your thinking really drives your performance. You know, the stories that we tell ourselves, neuroscience tells us, really affect the results that we're getting. And we talk about how can you intentionally coach yourself or coach those who you're responsible for uh, to become aware of those stories and to develop ultimately better stories that align with what we're trying to create in our lives and our businesses. Listening to that conversation between Michael and Megan, I just want to hone in for a moment on way number three, focus on outcomes, not processes. I think if business owners can get their head around that realization, the next conversation with Helen Cup will be especially empowering because when business owners can see that the outcome matters more than the process, they can structure and restructure employees' work so that it can be more flexible while still getting the results that they're after. All that after the break. Marissa, I cannot tell you how excited I am for your best year ever live coming up January 5th. Yes, I'm so excited too. I can't wait. Yes, this is the event that you would want to come attend if you're just like, man, I want to look at how well did I do in the past, but I also want to set myself up for success to have, like we call it in the title, your best yeah. year ever. 
this is the event you want to be at. We have thousands of people coming to this event yes. already. And you and I will be emceeing this event. Yes. So there's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of excitement to come join us to make it a great year for you. Yes. Now, in order for you to receive it, all you have to do is buy the full focus goal setting course and you get a ticket to your best year ever. Yes. And the best part is that that course is 25% off right now. So uh, you're going to get a discount and a ticket to the live event, which is normally $197. That's a killer so deal. So it's a killer deal. It's a no brainer in my opinion. Um, but definitely join us. It's going to be so much fun. January 5th, it's totally virtual. So no matter where you are in the world or, um, you know, whether you can get on a plane or not, don't worry about it. You don't have to. You can do this from the comfort of your own home. And, We'll be right there. Yeah. And just imagine having your goals already set for the entire year and a plan to execute them. Yeah. That's worth all the money that you can. And the best part, it's a free event for you yeah. if you buy the Full Focus Goal Setting Course. Yes. All right. Well, we would love to see you there. So make sure to go to fullfocusstore.com and take advantage of this deal. We'd love to see you at your best driver live. So let's get to this conversation with Helen Cup. Just a reminder, she's the co-author of How the Future Works and a co-founder of Future Forum. This is a pretty wide-ranging conversation, but what it all comes down to is what kind of experience does the employee have working for you and how do you get the same or even better results by giving employees more freedom? And of course, post-COVID, what that looks like is a digital environment or uh, a hybrid environment. And that can leave a lot of employers, honestly, a little disconcerted. I mean, how do you know that the work is getting done? Well, those are the kind of questions that Helen is going to answer in this conversation. Let's get into it. So in your book, How the Future Works, you do talk about some ways that companies can take what they've learned and move forward. And not just what they have learned, but what industries have learned, what you and your colleagues through your research have learned. and there's two concepts in particular I want to just, you know, like nar narrow in on for here for a second. Define for us both flex work and digital first. Yeah, well, let's start with flex work. Um, and I, I say flexible work, you'll notice on purpose, um, because I'm not referring to just hybrid um, and I'm not referring to just remote. Flexibility, as we found in our research, is more than just about how many days you're spending in the office or at home. Um, and yes, location flexibility, it's, it's super important, right? We talk about the reducing commute times. And in our research, we found that 80% of people want location flexibility, but almost everyone, 94%, wants some version of schedule flexibility. And so that's really what I'm talking about when I say flexible work. It's flexibility, not just in where you're working, but when and how you work together with your team. The idea of flexible times is interesting because we've spent most of our professional lives working through a quote unquote nine to five. Mostly it's not actually nine to five. It's, you know, you get up first thing in the morning and check email you're checking email again before you go to bed. There's all kinds of bleed over onto the weekends and everything else like that. What flexible work allows, it seems to me, is the ability to define some of those, some of what we already know as flexible work, but even keep stronger boundaries, perhaps. Yes. Um, you hit on the keyword, which is setting boundaries. 
The thing that I talk a lot about with with flexible work and and just redefining the way we work together is making the things that we used to take for granted just a lot more explicit, right? Um, and setting those boundaries, being intentional about what are our work hours. Um, yes, we worked, you know, in the in the pre-COVID times, there was a understood assumption that it was nine to five. But what that really meant was nine to five of meetings time. And maybe you do your real work outside of nine to five, Monday through Friday, um, which, you know, I, I don't know that if I had a chance to see that on an agreement, I would say, yeah, that that works for me. Um, but with with actually being a lot more intentional about redesigning how your team works together, what flexible work means for you, you have a chance as a group to say, well, what should our you know, meeting hours be, what we call core collaboration hours on our team? And how do we want to work in ways that actually works for everyone? Um, like I mentioned, I have two little kids. Um, they're uh, uh, both under three. And that means you know, the back half of the day, I don't want to be in meetings. I want to be there to go pick them up from daycare or what we started to institute recently are mom dates. So I can spend extra time with one kid um, so that they don't feel like they never get mom time. Um, and those things are important to me. And that means not having a 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. team meeting. But I can define that. How about digital first? Digital first is an acknowledgement that something that is true for a lot of sort of desk workers already, which is, and and more so now that we've moved to more flexible working. If you imagine a team that is in uh, more distributed locations and distributed times, the traditional version of headquarters, that physical office that central location where you can access people, information, and opportunities doesn't exist anymore or shouldn't right. exist. Digital first is really a reframe of how you think about your central headquarters. And what we're seeing more and more is that being digital first allows for flexible work to really be successful. On the flip side, what I like to refer to is digital first also doesn't mean never in person, right? We're not saying remote only culture or remote only company. It's really, again, going back to intentionality, right? Digital first is that sort of how we, um, how we think about headquarters, where you go for information, where you go and share things. But the office is also, or a physical location is also a, a good tool in your toolkit when you think about what might make sense for, you know, an in-person gathering, how can we be intentional about when and why we bring people together outside of the digital space? When I think about our audience, when I think about the clients we serve, we're, we're talking about business owners. And I think there might be something really unsettling about this conversation so far, because we're saying, hey, you know... You haven't been in the office. You've been working remotely. That was kind of an emergency solution, but it seems like it's starting to go just the way that it's always going to go now. This is like what what was an emergency solution is now the new uh, the new way things are, the new normal, and there might be some unsettling uh, ness 
to that realization because it's nice, as we've kind of already said, to go back to what you know. This is something that you now don't know or what you do know is maybe obscured by the fact that it's unsettling. And so you've learned things, as you've pointed out, but maybe you haven't really thought about what you've learned about how to optimize these new arrangements. And so it feels difficult to just step in and say, yes, now we're going to go do this uh, full bore and consciously. And that's going to be a choice, not just a reaction to the circumstances. So I wondered if we could shift to talking a little bit more explicitly about some of the upsides and the downsides. And on the downsides, I specifically mean doing it badly. But on the upsides, talk to us about how a business owner can feel confident in creating an environment for their team where they can work more flexibly on the one hand, and also in a, in a digital environment where you're not seeing people face-to-face most of the time. There are a lot of upsides that I can point to with data, right? Um, in particular, uh, and I'll just put this data point out there and, and I'll share some stories. But the reason I, I go back to pointing out that flexibility is really about schedule flexibility, right, is in the data we see that those employees that have gotten schedule flexibility are actually seeing three times better work-life balance. They're actually also wow. seeing nearly 30% better productivity scores and over 50% improved ability to focus. And it's not actually hard to imagine why when you think about what I mean when I say schedule flexibility. Um, the story that I often like to point to is my own calendar. Um, I, I often show this image of my calendar back in 2019, where it's literally back-to-back meetings, nine to five you know, 30 minute, 30 minute, 30 minute, 60 minute slots. And it is stressful looking at a calendar like that Sunday night or Monday morning. And you're in realizing that when am I going to have time to breathe? When am I going to have time to focus and actually do the deep thought, deep work? And usually that's, that's like late at night or really early in the morning before the day starts. And what people are looking for when they say schedule flexibility, because that's stressful, whether you're in the office or you're working from home or you're working from Hawaii, like that back-to-back calendar doesn't work in terms of truly being productive and getting focus work done. So schedule flexibility gives us an opportunity to say, do we actually need meetings as our core vehicle for getting work done? Or can we do this differently? Um, and if we do this differently, can we actually carve out really intentional times for when we meet and intentional times for deep focus and individual work and freedom and space to do, to balance your own schedules as you, as you see fit, right? Whether you are going to go out and take the dog out for a walk, go to a doctor's appointment, whatever. And successful, you know, teams have been doing this even pre pandemic. Um, you know, trusting their people, setting kind of goals and outcomes and letting them figure out the schedules as they need. Um, and so to, to your original question, I think for business owners, it's really thinking about, well, what's the, what's the outcome that I want here? And how do I communicate that and then empower my teams to reach those outcomes? And what's the support that they need to get that done? rather than focusing on the very narrow lens of, I need you back in the office, nine to five. Like, 
there's sort of a, there's like a reframing here of focusing on the output because ultimately what you want is business outcomes rather than focusing on that input. Talk to us about some of the downsides. You know, um, let's say somebody rolls this out poorly or maybe certain jobs just need to be in person and have more fixed hours. How do how do business owners think through flexibility when those are on the table? Well, I'll tell you one of the, um, before I go into the downsides, one of the really big benefits that we've seen with flexibility is the ability to actually hire and recruit more diverse talent um, than ever before. Just the ability to open up your your hiring from larger talent pools rather than you know core cities has really helped um, improve diversity in companies' pipelines. The flip side of that is it's not just about diversity, right? Inclusion is really really important, and we see very similarly flexibility has improved sense of belonging. Um, in the U.S. in our data for, you know, black employees, Hispanic, um, Latinx, Asian employees as compared to, um, their white counterparts. And, and so those are all really great benefits in terms of like how flexibility is really tied into your own diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. But the downside and the risk is also there where flexibility is not the only answer. If you, if you say you have flexible policies and you hire diverse talent and they're the ones choosing to work more flexibly or work from home, but your leaders are coming into the office five days a week, nine to five, you're signaling something very different to your employees about what it takes to succeed. Mm -hmm. And you're actually creating more proximity bias. Um, and a very different experience for those who are choosing to work flexibly. And so I think as leaders, being really intentional about what are the flexibility guardrails that you have in place becomes crucial, especially in this area around um, inclusion. That's part of why digital first is the counterpoint to flexible work. So if you have a digital first environment, you're going to get rid of that problem you just described. Yes. It's a lot of just, if you think about why people feel like they need to come into the office to get promoted, it's FaceTime with the boss, right? Mm -hmm. It's access to the informal information that you get from those hallway conversations or those networks um, that you um, that you build. And if you can find a way to actually support that more intentionally using digital first as your headquarters, you mitigate some of that proximity bias. And that might look like, you know, sharing opportunities and more information in public channels, being more transparent about that kind of, um, that kind of thing so that more employees have access to it. Now, the thing is, this bias happened in the office, you know, before we were working flexibly, it was just, I think it's, it's a lot more obvious and more exacerbated when you have people who can and want to come into the office versus those who can't. What ideally does a culture of connection look like? Ideally, a culture of connection is really, it comes down to being really, really intentional about how you're building um, networks and relationships among your people. It's really about 
more than just coming back into the office. Um, I think the question that you didn't ask that I often get is, oh, I need the office to build culture and connection, right? Um, that's, I think about the, the values written on the wall or the, even the color palettes that people spend a lot of time thinking about for their office spaces. And the reality is that it's connection and culture isn't about the office. It's really about leaders being intentional about how how those connections are being built. Um, and the reason I say that is I think we um, I think we have a lot of nostalgia about coming into the office. And that's partly because we've been isolated for so long. Right. Um, and and the situation that we were in in the last two and a half, three years is unique. But when I actually think about my own interactions in the office, a lot of the times it's, it's those brief, you know, you see someone in the elevator and you say, Hey, how's it going? And, and they respond, Oh, it's fine. And they walk away and that's it. Um, there are these short superficial exchanges that happen rather than really in depth connections amongst your team. And what I've been seeing teams be successful with is finding new ways of actually getting to know each other, whether that is intentional in-person gatherings, or that's doing things a little differently um, in a more digital first way. You talk about soft skills in the book. What soft skills are required? What is it? What does a business leader, what does a manager need to know about how to navigate these these dynamics with these soft skills? What what do they need? I think we need to redefine the role of a manager to be fundamentally three things. Um, one, they have to be really focused on creating clarity on their team. Um, two, they have to build trust because it always comes down to trust when we talk about flexibility. Um, and three, really focused on unlocking individual performance. So really getting to know their people and what motivates them and, you know, what, what are their sort of individual needs and preferences. And what you'll see in all of these three things is, a lot more focus on building connection amongst your people, deeper empathy, and learning how to listen a lot more to ask those right questions. And on the flip side, on the clarity side, really a focus on ability to communicate and be transparent with your team. What about mismanagement? You know, uh, you talk in the book about the doom loop, and I love that phrase. And I just thought I I wanted to give you a chance to tell the world about it. Um, the doom loop. It's just like imagine this vicious cycle that you get in, especially now when there's so much pressure. Right? It's when you feel like, oh, I I need to hit you know, these outcomes, but I don't know how to do it. So I'm going to revert back to monitoring my people. Um, instead of seeing them in the office, now I need to know when they sign on and when they signed off, um, in their tools for the day, which leads to, you know, these like meaningless metrics of what am I even observing? Is it just time in a tool? And does it actually tie to the business outcomes that I want? And you get into the cycle of like, okay, now I'm monitoring people. I'm looking at these meaningless metrics. Then people feel like they're not being trusted. They start to do these, you know, things where they're finding loopholes of 
How do I sign on really early? How do I just show that I'm working and spend extra time showing that I'm online? As you have a loss of trust, then you have less productive behaviors and ultimately less productive behaviors, worse outcomes, and then more monitoring, more trying to white knuckle through, you know, managing. And you can see how this becomes this like very vicious cycle downwards. Um, and that's the thing that I, I often refer to when I say flexibility is about trust. And that it is more important to figure out how we can enable our managers to reframe how they think about their role as managers, really focus on outcomes. Because if we don't, this will happen, right? This doom loop of, well, what do I do? I don't have the right tools. I can't see them coming into the office nine to five. Let me just monitor them. And you see, you know, trickle effects of that in the market. Like there's the mouse jiggler um, that, you know, keeps you signed on for a longer period of time. Like, this is crazy. Why are we wasting our time doing things like that? I mean, that's a great example of how perverted incentives just distort everything. One clear way to get past that is to get focused on defining the outcomes, as you've said. Tell us a little bit more about defining outcomes or defining results as opposed to activity. I think that um, many of us have seen versions of this with good management, right? Like really focusing on what are those clear goals, objectives, and outcomes? How can we plan for that? What are we trying to achieve? And being really explicit about simple things like deadlines, like like who owns you know this project? What's the um, I've seen people use like racy, right? Like who's the responsible person who has accountability, who's informed um, and just adding a lot more clarity around roles and responsibilities and those goals and outcomes can really help unlock a team to be focused on what are we driving to as uh, as an organization and as a team rather than how many hours am I working, right? Um, because I can tell you as a leader as a manager, I would much prefer the individual who's like super productive. She gets things done in two hours because she's prioritizing the right amount of things than the person who is, you know, working 12 hours and maybe getting the same amount of things done or less because they're just, they're doing everything like answering emails, trying to, you know, do things that don't actually move the needle. I would much rather the employee who like moves the needle for my team and actually hits the business goal that I'm, I'm looking out for. Um, and so I think every CEO, every business leader is looking for that. And so how can you, how can you be clear about that as a business leader? What are our goals? And then how does that trickle down into each department, each individual leader? And how can those managers then make individuals feel like they understand how their work contributes to that goal? As Helen and I brought the conversation to a close, I wanted to ask her a final question. Let's say you're a business owner, you're a leader, you're an executive, and you've been listening to this, and you're convinced that this is at least interesting. You know that there's probably some upside if you can lean more intentionally into this space. If that's the case, I wanted to know what is one thing that business owners could do that would enable them to implement some of the flexible work and digital first strategies that Helen describes. If there is 
anything to point to as a baby step is to pull a team level agreement together, use a template that already exists, and just start that discussion with your employees and your leaders. That in and of itself creates that two-way conversation that I think is core to making flexibility work um, and might surface a lot more things that have worked well and bright spots in terms of what people have been able to achieve and learn over the last couple of years than you realize. And that actually might reduce some of that fear and uncertainty about moving forward and going all in on flexible work. Um, Related to the team level agreement, one of the baby steps in team level agreements is just the basics of saying, what are our meetings for and how can we be better about making meetings matter? If you start there as the like primary unit of work to just look at and redesign, it, it will feel a lot more manageable because I can tell you there's not a single person I've talked to that says, I've figured out how to manage my calendar and the meetings that I have. And so no matter if you believe in flexible work or you're ready to try it, like I guarantee you everyone's like, yes, I need to fix my meetings. Yes. Helen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap for another episode of the Business Accelerator podcast. If you're a business owner and you're interested in learning more about our Business Accelerator coaching program, go to businessaccelerator.com. We help busy, growth-minded small business owners just like you scale yourself and your business so you can win at work and succeed at life. It's what we call the double win. And if you're open to an experience like that for yourself and how it might actually improve your employees' engagement, go to businessaccelerator.com. That's it. We'll be back next week with more conversations to help you accelerate your business. All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now? No, I have no idea. <laughs> well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. It's, yes! We can act, okay, like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Yes. Uh, it's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, And we have better. some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got uh, some awesome deals. So we've got 10% off site-wide. Um, we've got where you can get a free um, Your Best Year Ever vinyl sticker pack. For any new planner subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug. Wow, you already put them on your Stanley mug? And if you got them them on Black Friday, these are different. These are going to be new for the new year. Uh, But they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner. You can put them on your computer, wherever you want them. 
but they're great. great. They're great stickers. We're also doing 25% off courses. Let's go. So specifically, we've been talking a lot about our goal setting course. Um, and this is going to be $75 off and you get a free ticket to your best year ever live with your purchase. So you definitely don't, it's like a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. So you don't want to miss out on that. And your favorite thing, which is our certification program we're doing $800 off of it. And this is a fantastic time of year to get in. Um, we are actually going to be doing a beta group for our new digital planner. Yes. It's going to be fantastic. Crazy exciting. So anyways, go to fullfocusstore.com now shop our holiday sale. Make sure to use the code holiday 10 to get all these deals and more.